Welcome everybody to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. We are here this week with Kate. Really lucky to have her on the show today, being able to talk all about her diagnosis, her journey with bodybuilding, weightlifting and her hips. So Kate, lovely to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you. Thanks for having me on. No worries. So can you tell us a little bit about where you're from um, and your history and where we kind of got started with knowing about hip dysplasia? Sure. Yeah. So I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the United States, and I actually now live in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, Moved out here in 2007 um, to go to uh, college at St. Louis University um, because I wanted to study engineering and um, they had a really good engineering program. So I figured, okay, good way to get away from my parents, you know, (laughs) move several hundred miles away from home. Um, But yeah, so I um, I'd always been really like interested in bodybuilding and um, I was never very good at running when I was in high school. Um, and it's one of those things where I always wished I was good at running and I tried so hard. I even did a 5k with my dad when I was a senior. Um, and at that point, you know, it was, I had a, he had to hire a personal trainer for me because it was just really hard. So I was like, you know, maybe I should do something different that isn't running. Maybe I should do weightlifting. Um, and so basically went to, you know, started going to school and um, engineering school is really, really, really hard. And I spent a lot of time studying and I wanted to spend time in the gym. I even tried joining ROTC, like Air Force ROTC, because I had this crazy idea of being an Air Force pilot at one point. Later on found out I get really bad motion sickness. So that was not a good idea. But um, there was a lot of um, fitness components to being in ROTC, including push-ups, sit-ups, and then doing, I think it was like a one and a half mile run. And oh my gosh, that run was my arch nemesis. Like I try, I trained so hard for it and like, I could never get a good time. I was always huffing and puffing and like, I, I seriously thought I had asthma at one point because I just, I was so terrible at running. Um, and I couldn't even do like five push-ups. Um, so that's when my dad had hired me the trainer in, um, you know, high school, and I worked really hard, I was able to get to like 15 push-ups at one point, so I had made really good progress, um, and I was really satisfied with the strength component of it, but I still couldn't quite get the running down, so um, ended up dropping out of ROTC after my freshman year, and decided, okay, I'm just going to get through engineering school, I just got to survive, um, but then towards my I think it was my um, like senior, I took an extra year to graduate. So it was like my super senior year. I was doing, um, you know, I went back to the rec center at my university and I was, you know, trying to do running again and realized, okay, this isn't for me. (laughs) Still isn't for me after all these years, (laughs) gonna do some weightlifting instead. And so I was using weight machines and I had no one there to work out with me, no one to, to guide me or anything or help me. And I was really afraid of like using free weights or barbells and getting injured. So I just kind of avoided that. Um, and I, I'll go back and say that throughout, you know, grow, my time growing up, I did a lot of different sports. I did lacrosse, field hockey. Um, I was on the fencing team at one point. Um, I did a crew like rowing um, and basically just and when I was in elementary school, I did a lot of soccer, like playing soccer at recess. So I did a lot of sports um, and, you know, I never had any problems with pain in my hips or anything at that point. You know, I was just living my life being a kid. Um, growing up and everything so never had any issues there (laughs) Um, but yeah and I remember what my um, my personal trainer in high school he was like 
he mentioned something about body sculpting and he's like, yeah, there's people who just train certain parts of their body and it changes the shape of their body. And you're like the sculptor of your own body basically with weightlifting. And that got me so interested. And I was like, okay, I really need to do weightlifting. So tried, tried doing all these different things. And I never really um, stuck with any one thing for a while. Um, and that was kind of how everything started. And then um, after I graduated, I got my job um, in the aerospace industry and uh in the last I think it was like the last couple of years I started getting more into fitness again tried running again still didn't work <laughs> like I tried running so many times in my life and I, I gave it a really fair shake and I just never it just never really jived with me um so that's when I decided okay one morning my boyfriend and I were out walking and we saw a gym on our local like main street we live in this like historic neighborhood um and there's like cobblestone roads and stuff in these old timey buildings and they had this this one building there was a gym there and I was like I want to join that gym and he's like why that's a bodybuilder gym and I'm like that's perfect <laughs> so we decided we would join this gym together so we did last August um and so that's when we I started uh, we had a I had a, hired a personal trainer again and I started um, weightlifting. Um, and this time I, I went all out. I hired a bodybuilding coach to, um, to help me with my nutrition. Um, cause previously I had been a little bit overweight and I wanted to change the shape of my body. Um, and we had done in 2021, we had done intermittent fasting. We did like one meal a day type of thing. So we only ate like once every 24 hours, which sounds crazy to some people, but, um, it actually worked really well for us, um, and our schedules. And we lost like both of us, we each lost like 30 pounds, but um, a lot of that weight was muscle weight, unfortunately, which I didn't really think about until later. <laughs> um, yeah. And so then decided, okay, going to start working out in earnest, hired my trainer and we, my boyfriend and I both have the same trainer um, and we go to see her once a week at the gym and we just, we pretty much try to work out almost every day and we take rest days, obviously. Um, but yeah, that, this is getting um, into how the injury happened. So if you want to start talking about that, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and because the, the bodybuilding and the lifting stuff is so intertwined in so many of the things that we're going to talk about. It's been great to kind of know how you got into that and sort of the, the journey leading into that. Um, so yeah, definitely want to come back and revisit that. But when did you said that the accident that you were about to talk about, this is the start of your journey into knowing a little bit more about your hip. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was, um, squatting at the gym doing like a barbell back squat, you know, with the barbell on my back. And, um, I think, I, I don't know how many pounds of weight I had And this. It, it wasn't like any one day that I noticed it. Like, I think it was like a couple of different times in, um, I think it was like April this year. Um, and I, and so just another like thing I wanted to mention is like when you're, when you're untrained, when you're like a non-resistance trained person and you start working out and you start resistance training and you're eating like high protein, um, your gains are explosive. Like you'll notice, you'll make like noticeable changes really fast, which I mean, you're a physical therapist, so you probably know about all this, but for anyone listening, yeah, if you're an untrained individual, like, um, just starting to lift weights will change your body quite rapidly. I mean, you're not going to like turn into the Hulk overnight. I mean, I wish I, I wish I could, a lot of women are afraid to lift weights because they're like, ah, oh, I don't want to turn into a guy. I don't want to look like bulky and look like a guy. I'm like, I'm trying to look bulky here. <laughs> it's taking me a long time and it's not happening just yet. Cause I'm, I'm a natural bodybuilder, but in any case, um, the point and the reason why I mentioned this is because I was I was going up in my weights really fast and I was worried maybe my joints couldn't handle that or something because um, sometimes people get injured like that like they try to progress too fast and your body kind of allows for that at first um, so I was squatting I think it was like maybe 135 135 pounds or more 
And um, I noticed this like sharp stabbing, stinging, stabbing sensation in my um, adductor. And so it kind of went up into my groin and my left side only. And I was thinking, oh, well, I probably just strained a muscle or something. That sucks. I probably have a doctor tendonitis or something. But I noticed it kept happening. I kept, I kept feeling that sharp stabbing pain every time I squatted. Um, and then finally, eventually in May, I think it was like May of this year, I decided to go see a sports medicine doctor. And I, I went to go see, or I tried to go see my original, like my actual like uh, primary care physician first. And she was like, well, if you have like a sports hernia, we don't treat that here. And she didn't even try to refer me to anybody. And I was like, this is ridiculous. So I went to my insurance company and I said, can you find me a doctor who does sports medicine and preferably a female because <laughs> it's in my groin. And so they found me somebody and I went to go see her. Um, and she also used to be a bodybuilder and she has hip impingement. And so she kind of was like suspicious when I told her about my groin pain. And so she had me lay on a table. She did the fattier, fatier, however you say it, fatier test, um, flexion, adduction, um, rotation, internal rotation. Um, and when she pulled my knee, my left knee towards my right shoulder, I just screamed. It was so painful. I was like, oh my God, I'm pretty sure everybody in the waiting room could hear me. Because <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is so painful. And she's like, oh, you probably have hip impingement. So let's do some x-rays. And I was like, okay, I don't know what hip impingement is. Is this something that's going to go away after a while? Like, I don't know what this is. So she had me do x-rays. And then after she looked at the x-rays, she was like, oh, you have a shallow hip socket and uh, you've got impingement and you might have a labral tear. And I was like, whoa, okay. So I'm an engineer. I don't really know a lot about um, human anatomy. Like I know some biology and stuff. It's kind of like a weird like hobby of mine, but I don't know anything about like bones and what bones are where. So I had no idea what she was saying. She was like speaking another language. Um, and so she gave me a printout about hip impingement and handed it to me. And she, the word dysplasia was never really mentioned at all during this conversation. It was more just FAI, femoroacetabular impingement. So I was like, all right, I'm going to read this like printout from the internet and try to learn more. And I was like, what am I supposed to do now? Because I want to go back to squatting and I don't want to make this injury worse. Because at that point, I didn't know if I had a labral tear or not because she had to order me an MRI. So this was like in, um, I guess, late May, early June when this was happening. And she basically was like, yeah, we're going to order you the MRI. In the meantime, um, I want you to squat like this. And so she told me to squat like kind of with a wider stance with my legs flared at a 30 degree angle like my, or my feet flared out at a 30 degree angle when I squat down um, and don't go too deep, that's what she said. So I decided, okay. And she also suggested doing heel blocks, but I, don't, I didn't have any of those. So I figured, all right, let's just try the, the basic things she suggested. And at that point, um, we did talk about physical therapy, but she hadn't really like enrolled me or like sent me a, sent a prescription out for me to do physical therapy yet. Um, so I went and I had the MRI, I think it was like June 26th or 27th, I had the MRI and um, the radiologist didn't really find anything on the MRI. They just noticed a slight osseous bump at my, um, was that the femoral head neck junction anterior or something like that. So there is like a slight bone morphology there, but they didn't notice anything else. Um, and so I was like, okay, that's confusing. So I go back to see my doctor and she's like, okay, um, well, that's weird. They don't, they didn't find a labral tear, but all your symptoms are kind of pointing towards that. Also, I should point out, she wasn't actually a doctor. She was a physician assistant, mm -hmm. um, but she was quite knowledgeable, um, you know? And so she basically was like, yeah, that's kind of surprising me that they didn't find a labral tear, but you still need to be careful when you're squatting. You need to like maybe take a break from leg days. And I was like, no, I don't want to hear that. Cause I, I want to, <laughs> I need to gain muscle. My legs need to grow. 
so I can, cause I'm thinking about competing someday in a show. So in bodybuilding shows, so I need to grow my muscles. Um, and I had been having DEXA scans. So I don't know if you're familiar with that, but, um, the DEXA machine. So I went and had that done in October of 2021 as a baseline. And then I had it done again in, I think it was, um, May of this year. And it was right after I had that DEXA, that second DEXA scan. And I, I had gained like it was like eight pounds of muscle or something ridiculous. Like I had put on, I was, or I was gaining at a rate of like 0.8 pounds a month, um, which is pretty crazy, but it's, you know, newbie gains. Um, in any case, uh, later on had a DEXA in August and realized because of my injury, I had lost like three pounds of muscle in just my left leg, <laughs> um, which is the, in, you know, the side with the injured hip anyway. So going back to where I was with the, uh, the doctor situation, um, I saw so many doctors this year. It was really frustrating. Um, she, basically said, well, you might have a sports hernia because that's another thing that can cause pain in that area. Um, I didn't think that I had a traditional like inguinal hernia. I don't know if I said that right, but <laughs> I don't think I had that because um, I would have noticed like a bulge and other symptoms, maybe GI symptoms, but I didn't have any of that. So she sent me to, um, she said I needed to go see a hip specialist. Um, and I'm not going to name this guy's name because he was single-handedly the worst doctor I've ever been to in my life. Um, he basically, he basically was just like, yeah, like, because there's nothing on your MRI, like you shouldn't have any pain. Like you shouldn't be in pain because there's no tear on the MRI and like, there's no imaging. And I wanted to be like, dude, how about if I kick you in the nuts and you go get an MRI and then, you know, I bet there's nothing that's going to show up on there, but I bet you're going to hurt a lot. <laughs> I, wanted oh to say that to him. I wanted to say that to him so bad. <laughs> he was such a jerk. <laughs> But like, I never, um, I never cry in public almost ever. Like I never really cry. And I left that office crying because I just felt so shitty. I mean, I just, I felt so terrible because he didn't really even care about me at all. Um, you know, his, his physician assistant said something about, well, you probably have a sports hernia. You need to go see this other doctor. You also should see this chiropractor who does active release technique, ART. Um, and he basically said, oh, and you do have a slight dysplasia. And this is when I said, okay, well, what does that mean? And he tried to explain it to me. And then he's like, so it's a shallow hip socket, but I still didn't understand because he couldn't like, he wasn't really showing me on the x-ray or the MRI what it looked like. And so I, I didn't put two and two together there. Um, and I asked the, the doctor, I said, well, so what am I supposed to do? How do you fix a dysplasia? You know, because I knew for FAI, you could just shave down the bumps or whatever. And, you know, that might fix the problem and then, you know, anchor the labrum back together. But um, for um, dysplasia, he's like, well, you would do a PAO. And I was like, what is that? And he's like, oh, yeah, it's kind of intense. And they don't, he didn't even really describe the procedure, but he was like, you're too old for it. Like, they're not going to do it on someone as old as you. You're 33. Like, you're too old for a PAO. They're not going to do that to you. And I was like, okay so what so i I'm, but I, and he's like but you're too young for a hip replacement so i'm like i'm too young for a hip replacement but i'm too old for pao so what am i supposed to do just be in pain like i didn't understand what he meant so then i went to go see the chiropractor and he did the active release technique and he's like oh i don't like how this feels you might have a um sports hernia there's a lot of scar tissue i'm feeling you're gonna go you're gonna want to go see um, this other doctor at washington university in st louis Barnes Jewish Health, um, who does sports hernias. So I go from the chiropractor and this guy, the chiropractor I saw, he does, um, he, he's the, uh, St. Louis blues, um, national hockey league, NHL, um, chiropractor. So he, I figured this guy's probably pretty legit and he was super nice too. Um, when I told him I kept trying to get an appointment with the sports hernia guy, but he kept telling me, Oh, we need to see your MRI first. We need to see your imaging and then we'll do the appointment. And he's like, no, you need to see him now. So he like got me in with this guy, but I never actually went to that appointment. 
because um, once I sent my imaging and every, I had, at this point I had collected like a library of imaging. I had had so many x-rays. I had one MRI. Thankfully I didn't have to get a second one, but I had so many x-rays. It was like, I have this stack of CDs in my filing cabinet of all my um, radiography. Um, but anyway, so I, I sent all of that into his office before the appointment and they reviewed it. They had a different radiologist review the MRI and guess what they found? Labral tear anterior superior 10 to 2 o'clock position. Uh, they found degenerative disc disease in my L5-S1. They found a bone marrow edema in my right uh, sacroiliac joint. And yeah, so, and there's some other fluids and things they noted, but like it was very, very thorough. And compared to the original MRI reading I got, which was just like, well, oh, slight osseous bump, you know, like I was like, what? There's all this other stuff they missed. And I'd been going months seeing all these other doctors for sports hernia when it was really just a labral tear. And so that sports hernia doctor's office actually kind of saved my bacon because they were like, oh, you have all these things wrong with you. You don't have a sports hernia. Your eponeurosis is intact. So you just, you have a labral tear. <laughs> Okay, so having had all of that information come through, and so did it did it feel almost like a validating experience? Like, thank you, someone's seeing me. Yes, trying to like listen to me and what I'm saying, and not just bobbing me off. Yes, yes, exactly. I felt so like like I well at first I felt stressed because the MRI report was like really long. It was like three pages <laughs> long, and I was like, oh my god, there's so many things wrong with me. Um, and then I took a step back and I was like, but also at least I know now what's wrong with me. Um, but I still felt like I was missing something. So I did schedule an appointment to see another doctor. Um, and this time it was one who um, I spoke with a girl at my gym, who's one of the trainers there, Allison, and she actually has hip dysplasia as well and impingement. And um, the guy she's dating who also works at our gym, his mom has had two PAO surgeries. So they kind of like knew all about it and stuff. And I, she has been like kind of um, guiding me and helping me um, as well as like, I've been on Reddit, like using the Reddit um, hip impingement community. Um, and so a lot of people were saying you need to see Dr. Clohisi or Clohisi. I've never actually known how to pronounce his name, but if you go to like any like PubMed article on hip dysplasia, there's a very good chance he's on one of those articles. Like he does a lot of research at WashU um, here in St. Louis. And apparently there's a lot of hip dysplasia stuff that goes on right here where I live. So I was like, wow, what are the odds that I'd have these like amazing doctors here? So mm -hmm. I figured, okay, I'm going to go see him, but he, his schedule was so packed. So I went to see um, a, a lady who, I think she trained under him, Dr. Pasquale Garrido. Um, her first name is Cecilia. Anyways, um, so I went to go see her and it took like three months just to get an appointment with her. So I saw her in like early, mid-October and she had me do more x-rays, of course. Um, cause when she saw my old one, she was like, no, 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 these are bad. Like who took these? These are bad. <laughs> <laughs> she has this very thick, um, accent. She's from Argentina. She's pretty cool. Um, but anyway, so she did some tests on me, you know, like she had the fadier thing again, which I had to, I had to beg so many doctors not to do that test to me again. Cause every time my leg gets internally rotated, um, or adducted, it like hurts really bad. Like it flares up my groin pain. So, um, anyway, so she basically looked at all my stuff and she's like, all right, so you have dysplasia your um, lateral center edge angle is 20 degrees, which I understand anything like over 25 is like non-dysplastic. It's like a norm normal hip or whatever. Anything under 25 is like, you know, dysplastic, I guess. And then she was kind of saying that like 20 is like borderline. It's like right on the edge of, um, you know, like just, I guess, being more severe versus not. Um, and I was like, okay, so then do people with 20 degree angles have PAOs? And she's like, 
oh yes, they do. And some of them don't. And I later on did some research and reading um, from Dr. Closey's YouTube channel, or I guess not his channel, but like there's a, um, uh, like a video that he was in on a hip related channel on YouTube. And it basically said like, um, if you have a, a kind of a borderline LCA angle, you might want to not have a PAO because sometimes they overcorrect the socket rotation and you end up with impingement because your LCA angle becomes like way, way higher. It just increases that angle a lot. So you have overcoverage. So I was like, oh, I don't know if I want that, <laughs> you know, because that might, because I might go through this horrible surgery. And then at one point I was like, oh, why can't they just replace my hip? Like, I'd rather have a hip replacement than have them break my pelvis and rotate it and then bolt it back together. And it just sounds like a living hell to have to go through that when they could just put a fake hip in. But then they're like, oh, well, she told she explained to me and my doctor, she said, um, it, it's the parts won't last to, uh, forever. Like you will have to get it revised at some point. Even the newer ceramic ones are still not perfect, I guess. And eventually you have to get it replaced again. And she's like the whole point of seeing me because she's a hip preservationist. She wants to preserve my natural hip. So I understood that. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. And I was like, but I'm really scared of the surgery. I don't want to have surgery at all. Um, and she's like, okay, well, you just continue doing PT because I had been, I had actually been going to PT since um, July 15th this year. And I had three different physical therapists <laughs> so far, um, just because I'm a very curious person. I'm very analytical. And I just, I, I wanted to see different approaches, but also I just, I can get into that more later about what I did to kind of like avoid surgery. But like, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting journey because I've seen so many doctors, so many physical therapists. Um, but Dr. Garrido, she basically told me that they had a research study going on. So I enrolled in that. It's a clinical trial um, called the Healthy Hip Study. And they're, um, it's a, a follow-on to another um, study that they did previously at WashU. Um, it's also in partnership with HSS. So if anyone listening to this um, has a doctor from either WashU or lives in the St. Louis area and can see one, or if you live in New York and you um, have a doctor in the HSS health system, um, you can basically go and see them, get evaluated. You just have to have never had surgery before and um, no osteoarthritis. Those are the only two. You don't even need imaging. You just have to have hip pain, basically. Um, but anyways, the point of the study is to see if um, like why some people get better with physical therapy and others don't and they need to go on and have surgery. That's kind of the, the goal behind it. Um, and so they gave me like a guide of like, okay, sit like this, sit on a cushion, sit at this angle uh, at night, have a pillow in between your knees and like just all these different tips basically. And like even walking, running, standing, sitting, just stuff that you can like modifications you can do throughout your daily life to try to make your pain go away basically. Um, Anyway, so I've talked a lot. Is there anything you want to say or I mean, do we this, need to? No, this is absolutely incredible. Like I'm really enjoying hearing about the, the study and I kind of want to pick your brains about those modifications. I don't know whether they are stuff that you are allowed to talk about, whether that study has been released yet, whether it's something that um, needs to, to be contained for a little while. Um, and if it is, we can come back to it potentially another time to chat about it. But um, yeah, the, the study and the modifications that you were given, I just, I can hear the amount of people that will be listening to this episode thinking, oh, well, what were those modifications? What, what could we be doing to, to make our pain better? Are you allowed to share that? I mean, they didn't tell me I couldn't share it. Um, I've already actually sent it to some 
somebody online, um, I, I browse a lot of the hip dysplasia groups on like Facebook and Reddit. And there've been people who have been like, I don't know what to do. I've tried everything. And I'm like, these are just, some of these things are just common sense. Like, I don't even, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think they would care if I um, talked about it. Um, but basically like just sitting at an angle, like when you're driving your car, um, if you're, I, I guess it's, I guess it's kind of hard because the pain for me is on my left side. And um, in, in America, you know, our steering wheels on the left side. So um, if I have my left foot out, um, instead of keeping it bent, I can just straighten it out. And then my right foot can operate the gas and, and the, uh, the brakes. So basically keeping that left leg kind of straight out and not bent, um, basically avoiding like any kind of like, um, like prolonged external rotation or internal rotation. Um, you know, when you sleep, just have that pillow between your legs at night. Um, when you, when you walk, like they said, to squeeze your glute muscles, like when you're walking, which seems really unnatural to me, even my physical therapist was like, that's really weird. Cause who does that? Who walks around with their butt clenched, you know? But I mean, the idea is whenever I start having pain, like I like to walk a lot. I don't, I don't run. We, we've, we've been over this. I don't run. <laughs> so whenever I'm walking, I just, if I start like towards the end of my walk, if I'm starting to feel like, oh, the pain's creeping back into my groin, um, I'll just start clenching my glutes a little bit, um, like when I'm walking, like each stride, and that kind of actually helps stabilize your hips and like it helps the pain go away. So at least for me, it doesn't work for everybody. Um, I mean, some of this stuff, like you know, at the at the very bottom of the sheet, they had a disclaimer that said like, if any of this causes you pain, don't do it anymore. Like just common sense type of stuff, but. Um, they also gave some exercises to work on with my physical therapist, but a lot of them are like ones I've already been doing. They're just, you know, strengthen your glute medius, your um, abductors, adductors, um, hip flexors, uh, basically, yeah, just, and, and your glute, glute max even, just like all those muscles around your hip that help stabilize. Um, yeah, so those are some of the things. Um, I should have had the sheet printed out actually in retrospect because then I could have looked looked at it more in depth. But um, those are the basic ones. Um, they also say like when you're running, try to shorten your stride. I think it was. See, I don't run again, so I, I didn't really pay attention to that one. But uh, the walking one, I did. Um, they didn't have any tips for weightlifting though, which was kind of disappointing because you know there's there's people out there who don't do just even people who don't walk or run or really or cycle they just, all they do is lift weights so I'm like I, I don't know uh, I tried asking the researcher about that and she was like yeah I, I don't really lift so I don't know <laughs> um I think she was a PT as well one of the lead researchers um in the in this uh, study but yeah so just a bunch of different tips there just mostly like um just mobility stuff and how you sit and stand kind of things Amazing. And yeah, they're, they're all really, really great tips and um, stuff that I tend to give out a lot as well um, in the car, just because it's relevant and because I'm sitting on it right now, just easy to hand. Um, if anybody's watching, my other big tip for driving um, is a lot of the seats are um, like bucket seats, right? So your hips are lower down than your knees. Um, and if you have FAI um, or labrum tears and, you know, you're in a vulnerable position, being able to be more neutral, even slightly higher with your hips and your knees can help reduce that impingement a little bit. It does for me personally, I have FAI as well as dysplasia. So I love... <laughs> love my Hartley seating wedge yeah and I'm not sponsored by them they do not give me any money I think that I would love them to <laughs> and because I recommend this product to so many people and this is about six years old and it's doing great Nick um but I love my seating wedge for car journeys I have it on my piano chair I, I have it on literally every chair that I have because it stops me getting that inflammatory flare-up that you were talking about mm. um, when you when you're in that prolonged position with that knee up in the in the bit that just really irritates um and can cause flare-ups for a few days 
so yeah that I would add that into just like travel stuff but yeah all of those things that you were advised are brilliant tips and even though you're like they're quite basic they're common sense but actually if you're not told these things they're little things that seem easy but can make a massive difference to people's lives so and um, thank you so much for for sharing those that's really really amazing and um, so the study that you're in is there a conclusion date on that when are they going to sort of be able to determine why some people progress with exercise and strengthening rehab for labral tears and dysplasia opposed to not well they're going to stop enrollment in the study i think she said it was march of next year because there's a um funding thing that they have to uh, funding requirements that they have to adhere to from I think it's a National Institute of Health is funding the study so they have to have all the all of it closed by a certain date so they can start getting all the stuff I guess compiled I've never actually run a research study before I do work in R&D but in a very different industry so I'm not sure how it all works but I just know that um, they're going to have to stop taking new entrants starting like new applicants starting in uh, March next year so if anyone like hears this before then and, and you're eligible to enter, definitely, definitely enter. There is some monetary compensation, um, but I was willing to do it for free because I'm like, what if this helps me feel better? And they say there's no guarantee like they don't they say that there's they say there's no benefit to you other than helping people in the future, maybe. But I think they just have to say that for legal reasons, maybe. I don't know, because I think that it, there is potential that it can help you. I mean, I definitely started feeling better after using the pillow at night. Um, and I did purchase one of those wedge pillows, too, like for driving and for um, just, you know, sitting, basically. I have a standing desk, and I stand pretty much all day. Um, and that actually has helped me a lot, because if I sit for more than 30 minutes, the pain will start to flare up again. Um, I did get this other device, and sorry to switch subjects, but there's this um, this the, the thing I do at work called Hinge Health. Um, it's a work health insurance benefit. And they gave me this sensor thing that you can stick on your body. It's called ENSO. And it's basically a TENS unit, except it's ultra high frequency. And it comes with this little, this little uh, thing that you can charge. And then it just clips on here, like magnetically. And then so you peel this thing off and you stick it on your body somewhere. And then your phone pairs with it like Bluetooth and you control the intensity of the vibration, it's not vibration, but the uh, electricity basically. Um, and they have different sized ones depending on like what body part you want to put it on. And this was 100% free just because my, my employer has a contract with Hinge Health and part of that contract includes like this um, device. So it, it can help um, quite a bit and I've been using it, but it doesn't always work. I don't know, it, placement is really, key I think like getting it in the right spot for like where your pain's happening um so I've been using that off and on um as another like tool in my toolbox I guess to try to help me deal with the pain um and their app it's like a it's like a PT app basically and then each day you get a playlist and you're in a program so I'm in the hit program they have ones for like neck back you know all the different body parts um and they assign you a um like licensed physical therapist as well as a coach and the coach will check in with you like every day. She'll like text me and be like, hey, how's your pain doing? Are you feeling okay today? Um, how are your exercises? Like, do you, do, you need, do you need us to modify anything? Is anything too difficult for you? Um, have you used your, you know, ENSO device? Does that help in like, where do you put it? That kind of thing. Like, do you need any help, guidance with that? So, and they do like video calls. And one of the things they gave me for free also was a like 30 minute um, expert medical opinion with an orthopedic surgeon, which this I did record that. Um, yeah, yeah. 
yeah and he he kind of went over my x-rays and my mri with me and because I, I i was still at this point unsure about if i wanted to have pao or not and um basically was like i really don't think you need it um but you know obviously he's representing a company that their whole mission is pt so <laughs> maybe he was gonna say that anyways i don't know i like to think that he i think that they are pretty honest though like i think if it was really really severe like if i had like an LCAA of like 10 degrees, he'd probably be like, you need to get a PAO. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. Um, I just remember one of the doctors you had on this podcast, he mentioned something like, well, if I was a, a hip dysplasia person and I had, I knew I had dysplasia and I was having pain, I would be signing up for PAO right away. And I was, I was thinking like, dang, that is so extreme. Like maybe it depends on the person. Like maybe not every person needs to have one, like just because I have this. I mean, there's people who go their whole lives having this and they don't even know they have it. Um, but anyways, I'm, I'm getting off topic here. I, I want to, I want to circle back. (laughs) I wanted to circle back to, um, the weightlifting stuff, but, um, like I just want to say, um, spend, spend a moment on that topic before we, before what you said, there was really, um, really key. Um, and I, I want people to rehear that message that when you said, you know, maybe that's not the right decision for everybody. And you're exactly right. People can have so many variations on their, um center edge angles and they can have like you said go through the whole of their lives having this condition but not having any surgery not having any treatment not knowing they've got it but just putting up with you know pain or whatever they're putting up with everybody everybody is different everybody is an individual everyone has different things that they want to do in their life so you could have a really extremely dysplastic hip with a really extreme center edge angle but actually your main hobbies and everything that you want to do with your life is actually quite sedentary and you can do everything in your life quite happily and you don't necessarily need to have that surgery if your pain isn't bad your quality of life is great you know it's it really is individual for everybody so I just really wanted to hone in on that point that you made and make sure that everybody hears it because I don't want people to think because my center edge angle is a certain way it means that I need to have one of the multiple surgeries that you can have when you have hip dysplasia so really wanted to hone in on that point so you know I know you wanted to get back to the weightlifting stuff oh yeah no that's fine I I just know we're limited on time and I I didn't want to ramble on too much but um no I I think that's I'm glad that you reinforced that point because a lot of the folks I've seen online who talk about dysplasia or like even some of the guests here on your podcast, a lot of these folks have had surgery and that's fine. That, that's what made sense for their journey. I mean, your own journey is yours and it's very personal. Um, and I just wondered like, well, where, where are these other people who are like me who don't want surgery or just decide they, you know, they just, they're going to try to get by without it, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, you know, just the girl at my gym I mentioned earlier, like she definitely didn't have any surgery and I think she was kind of one of the key folks in my life who basically just helped me like realize that you don't need to have surgery to get better. Um, sometimes you do and that's okay, but um, there's also people out there who just who, who don't need to have it. So um, that made me feel a little bit better, I guess, because I was worried, okay, am I the odd one out? Cause I'm not having surgery, <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, it is very personal, yeah. So I think the other thing that you said as well is that, you know, you've you've chosen not to, to pursue that at the moment, right? But mm-hmm you're giving it a really great chance of doing everything that you can conservatively. So I think there's there's also a big difference if you're on the fence about it, if you're not sure, if you've had multiple different opinions from different surgeons, different members of your healthcare team, and you're not sure where to go with it. I think the things that you're doing and, you know, the training that you're doing, the strength training that you're doing, you know, being able to keep up with, you know, your, your quality of life in a way that you're modifying things, but really pushing conservative methods 
is an amazing thing to do because if you if you're on the fence about it and you know you've tried everything conservatively that you can possibly do you've worked your butt off to get as strong as you can you've modified activities and you know that your stability is as good as it can be for having less bony support your labrum's potentially gone so you don't have that labral support but you've built your muscles up to a point where they are Mm. super strong and supporting you in a way that could potentially give you the activity and the quality of life and the pain reduction that you really want it depends what you want to do with your life like you clearly have found that running is a challenging thing for you. We've established <laughs> that throughout this conversation. Um, and that weightlifting has has been a, a better path for you. But say say your ultimate passion in life was running. Like it was your mental health release. It was your um your physical health release. It was your happiness, your joy, your freedom. There are ways and certain exercises that you can try conservatively to know that you've done everything that you can to try to get that strength up, to be able to modify, to be able to, to see if you can run. It's not for everybody. Like, so, you know, in, in my personal journey, I was, I was doing a lot more running um, and I was training and doing half marathons a few years back. Um, and I was really enjoying the running, but um, I knew it took me about two weeks to recover with my hip pain after doing a half marathon. I was like, this just mm. doesn't feel like it's right. Um, so I went and got a review and saw the state of my hip and everything. And you know, it's not in a great situation. And they've told me I can have a, a replacement whenever I want it now, because technically it's bad enough on the scan. Um, but I know in that situation that if running had meant the world to me and I put in loads of time and effort with my strengthening from what I'd seen on the scans, I would have been able to support it with extra muscular strength to a point where I could have continued to run. Now I wouldn't, I don't think from my situation, I would have been able to do marathons, but for me to stick within the five, 10 K range, I could have been strong enough to do that without causing massive detriment. So modifying the distance, modifying, you know, all the technical stuff, getting super strong in certain areas to be able to support and stabilize it. Mm-hmm. is something that I think I could have potentially done, but I needed to have been passionate about it enough because the the exercise needs and the demand and the the amount of stuff I would have needed to have done to be able to do that without causing a detriment I just didn't care enough is what it came oh. about about the running so um you know the amount of work that it would have taken wasn't um wasn't motivating enough for me to you know I, I didn't want to run that much for all the work that it would have taken but if it was something I was super passionate about then maybe I would have been more motivated to do those things and been able to to do that. So um, it's just another message that I wanted to to put out there that again, you know, there's there's no harm in trying to to continue to build this strength and see what you can do conservatively. If you've got the potential that you might need a surgery, I don't feel like you've got a lot to lose by trying to see what you can build conservatively. And it sounds like this company that you're working with, is it Hinge? Yeah, Hinge Health. I wish they were all over the world, but I think it's only in the United States right now. They said they're trying to expand to other countries. So for listeners in other countries, you might not be able to use them yet. But um, if you're in the U.S., check with your employer um, because it's it a, like a really good ethos. Um, and like yeah. I said, I'm all for 
trying conservative methods, whether it's alongside surgical, whether it's as a, let's see what we can do first conservatively, knowing that we've got the backup of the surgery afterwards, if it doesn't work, because you're right, and this company is right, it doesn't, it doesn't work for everybody. Um, and I'm so excited to see the results of where this research goes to see, you know, if they can hone in on why it does work for some people and why it doesn't work for others, whether that's a physical reason, whether it's, a, you know, a mental and emotional, you know, what, what different aspects are there to to consider as to why it doesn't doesn't work for some people so I absolutely want to take details of this study and uh, follow up on that it's absolutely fascinating yeah definitely I can definitely stay connected and let you know how it goes um yeah it's awesome so I want to get back into the weightlifting um, and the bodybuilding type stuff because there were some modifications that you've been advised that you can do for weightlifting um in terms of like your stance and you know bits and pieces that I kind of want to hone in on a little bit but Firstly, I just wanted to ask you sort of emotionally, how did you, how did you feel about whether you could or couldn't bodybuild, weightlift, and what was your kind of emotional journey with hip dysplasia alongside lifting? Oh, it was rough, definitely. <clears throat> I mean, there were definitely days that were harder than others, um, you know, especially in days when I had really bad pain flare-ups, um, and I just wanted to go to the gym. I wanted to get under the barbell and do squats, but I knew that probably wasn't a good idea. And thankfully the other girl in the gym, Allison, she was really helpful because she said, Hey, you're going to have to give yourself some grace. You're going to have to be patient with your body. You know, she's like, I had to take like eight months off or nine months off from lower body days. So I I decided, okay, I want to compete in the figure category, which is upper body. Mostly it's focused on like shoulder, a big back, um, biceps, you know, you have to have a good lower body too for figure, but it's really an emphasis on upper body. Um, and so I decided I'm going to shift gears. And because I want to do upper body anyways, I had wanted to do that before I even knew I had the injury. Um, I decided to just put everything into upper body lifting. And when I had that DEXA scan back in, um, I think it was August, I had one in October, 2021, one in May of 2022 and one in August, 2022. And in between May and August, yeah, I did learn that I lost some muscle in my legs um, because of the injury, but I gained like five pounds of muscle or something insane. I gained a lot of muscle in my upper body. And I was just like, wow, I can't believe I did that. Like I, I just, I was scared that my results were gonna show that I had just lost muscle all over my body because your legs are such a big muscle group. I mean, like you have so much muscle there. So I was really scared about it, but um, my boyfriend and I looked at our results together and he's like, wow, like you really, your, your upper body grew a lot. So I just tried to focus on what I could do and not what I couldn't do during that period. Um, it was still very frustrating because I would see him squatting over on the squat rack and I'd be like, oh, I just want to squat. I just want to <laughs> do that. But I'm not a power lifter. You know, I'm not um, really constrained to just doing like um, bench press squat deadlift um you know i bodybuilders you can you can do whatever it takes to grow your muscle so it doesn't have to be any one exercise like if lunges are the are your jam and that's what makes your quads grow then do lunges you know do a leg press you know do a leg extension it doesn't have to be a squat um so i just realized that there were so many other ways i could achieve my goal besides just squatting um, and I didn't have to, I haven't, I haven't deadlifted in a while either. Um, and that's fine because there's other ways to grow those muscles. So I just had to realize that there's flexibility and, um, what I could do 
will, you know, it'll expand over time. Like I'll be able to slowly get back into doing things. Like I'm squatting again now. I didn't think I'd ever be able to squat again after this. Um, like I just thought that this was going to be the end of my squatting career, but um, that I can, I can talk more about that later, I guess, but like I'm seeing a physical therapist now who specializes in rehabilitating athletes, specifically weightlifters. Um, if you look on YouTube, his channel is called Squat University and he's got a lot of great videos. Yeah, I follow, yeah. follow them. Their videos are really, really amazing. And they also highly promote um, Vivo Barefoot Shoes, which I absolutely love for your foot strength and position. I absolutely love yes. Yeah, he's amazing in person. So if if anyone's in the St. Louis area, um, it's just, it's so such a small world because I was seeing a different physical therapist in um, the SSM health system. And I mentioned his videos to him and I said, Hey, have you ever seen this guy's videos online? And he's like, Oh yeah, he works here. And I'm like, what, <laughs> what he works here. Um, like not at the facility I was going to at the time, but like, um, he transferred me over to the one he works at. So I actually just saw him yesterday morning and we <laughs> had a workout together. Well, a physical therapy workout together, which I was sweating. I mean, it's really physical. <laughs> he puts the physical in physical therapy. Um, but I was so scared at first to work with him. Cause I was like, well, oh my gosh, like, cause I I've actually been pain-free for quite a while now. Um, and I was afraid that my pain might flare up again, but you know, and I was scared he was gonna be like, oh, you're never going to be able to squat. Cause you can't like, you know, do this or that, or, you know, your labrum and, um, certain motions, whatever. But he's like, oh, you just need to open up your hips more. You need to externally rotate your, your pelvis more when you go to squat. And um, I never, no one ever told me that before. Like nobody had ever said, oh, it's just, you know, a range of motion thing or a flexibility thing. You just need to improve that. It's, and he even told me that a lot of, um, I don't know if this, I guess this, I don't know, this might be true, but he said a lot of um, Olympic weightlifters actually do have shallow hip sockets because they have to be able to get into this like really, really deep, deep squat when they're doing like the snatch and cleans and all that jerk and whatever I'm really bad with those terms I tried it I tried Olympic weightlifting this summer I took a class at a CrossFit gym and it was so awful I mean like awful because I was brand new to it and I was trying to learn these foreign motions and um yeah let's just say I couldn't I couldn't go like this I couldn't um uh, rotate my my neck my head 90 degrees or 180 degrees I couldn't do that for like three days after that class because <laughs> of all the holding the barbell over my head and like just I probably strained my traps. I don't know, but it was, I don't know. It was, it was really cool though. I was like, this is so fascinating. It's so technical. It's like this whole other world. I didn't even know about of weightlifting. I'm, I digress, but anyways. Oh no, I, I mean, I love talking about this stuff because I, I used to do a lot of CrossFit and I absolutely love the Olympic weightlifting, like throwing a barbell around and the clean and jerk like that. feels powerful. You, know, you, you feel strong. <laughs> But the, you're right about the modifications, right? So, um, you know, I used to do a lot of the classes and be, you know, I had coaches and bits and pieces and, you know, my stance for my for my squats and, you know, the different motions has to be different to the majority and what people are coached is kind of the regular stances. Um, and that comes from knowing your body and knowing and having the time to experiment with your stance. And I think squat stance is such a massive thing to play with and it is so individual to everybody. Um, and I think it's really important to spend time understanding your own individual squat stance because your advice for you was to externally rotate a little bit more. And um, so that probably helped get your leg out of the way of your impingement area. And it does for me. So when I externally rotate, I can squat so much deeper because that, that impingement, that bony spur that I have is not in the way. But I cannot squat for 
shit when, <laughs> when my knees are right in front of me I can't get deep at all so I have to have a really quite quite a wide stance um externally rotated and a little bit wider but when I do that I can I can do it great and it really helped having the Olympic weightlifting shoes with a little bit of a raise in the heel that really helped to accommodate being able to get deeper um but one of the best pieces of advice I was given for like weightlifting and squats and stuff like that in the gym is that it ta- it takes a lot of people a good couple of years to learn to squat properly. Mm. This, this is one of the things that I heard that resonated with me so much. And while we're talking about weightlifting and training this way in this situation, in this podcast, I really wanted to, again, just make a point of this because squatting is not something as adults that comes naturally to us you know we see kids you know bending to pick things up and like you know kids have the best squat just naturally and they you know their spines are really nice and neutral they collapse into that squat beautifully and you know so easily um but we don't have that as adults because we have chairs and we you know we don't squat anymore as adults um Mm -hmm when we squat you know we get these butt winks you know when we get right to the bottom and you know we're like really hunched and rounded in order to get deeper in squats so to have the strength the stability the mobility through our spines to be able to keep them upright as we go down into a squat to be able to have the range of movement at the ankles to let the knee traverse forwards enough to get deep into that squat there's so many areas that don't come naturally to us as adults that we need to work on so there's hip mobility ankle mobility spinal Mm. mobility um and I mean that's just for a regular sort like when you start doing overhead lifts in squats you know that's a whole nother ball game as well so I just want to take a moment to let people know that if you're struggling with your squats it's okay and it can take a good couple of years for somebody without hip dysplasia to learn to squat well um so next time you're in the gym and you're frustrated please remember that it's okay that it's taking time. And while it's taking time for you to get that mobility, for you to get that stability in those positions, you can modify so you can not go as deep into those squats and still be getting some gains in strength, but without going that deep. You don't want to be going super deep in your squats if you don't have the stability for it or the range of movement because you're going to compensate somewhere. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just really wanted to, to hone in on that. Yeah. And there's no perfect one way to squat. That's the other thing that I have learned recently. Because when I first learned how to do it at the gym, and I'm not trying to like throw shade at my trainer or my boyfriend or anyone who helped me because you only you know your body. And for instance, my boyfriend, he would be able to squat quite narrow with his toes pointed straight forward. And for me, that didn't work. I always felt like I was going to fall backwards and have the barbell just roll off my back. I felt very um, unstable. And I have really long femurs and he his, his, his aren't as long as mine. And the length of your femur, the length of your tibia, the length of your torso, all of these things matter in terms of like your center of gravity. And when, like when you're squatting, so like, I have to stand much wider. I have to flare my feet out a little bit. Um, that's the only way that I feel truly balanced and, um, safe and a random side note as well. Um, I was in Japan living there for a while and have those squat toilets. And that was really difficult for me to learn how to use it first because of my, the length of my femurs. I mean, I was like grabbing onto the railings and like the, you know, the assisted railing things trying to hold on because I, I didn't understand how to shift my center of gravity. I couldn't really get flat on my, the bottom of my feet. So I kind of had to adjust that position as well. So, I mean, that's totally normal. So like, if you, if your squat doesn't look like 
so-and-so's on social media or the other guy at your gym or the other gal at your gym. It's okay. Cause like everyone's going to look a little different. The important thing is finding what feels right for you. Because when I was narrow and I was loading really narrow, I, I noticed sometimes I would, my legs would get forced into internal rotation. And that's apparently like what I shouldn't be doing. According to the doctor, you know, she was saying like, well, you shouldn't be in internal rotation because of your impingement. And so I think just putting that load on my back, that very extreme load and then having that position of that knee valgus I think that might have contributed to my labral tear I was also in a car accident in 2012 a head-on collision and I've read online that those can actually cause or initiate labral tears so it could be that my labrum was torn for a very long time just maybe minor a minor tear and then over time just you know existing and moving and being a, a human being and just living my life um, and then having that one internal rotation with that load applied just the straw that broke the camel's back so to speak at least that's kind of how one of my pts described it it's like kind of a buildup because i people often ask me that they're like well how does that just happen you know but there's people walking around with labral tears that don't even know they have them um and they have no pain same with like uh bulging discs or herniated discs there's people who have that and they have no pain so like don't let your morphology like define you i guess like just don't be afraid to live your life. I don't know. <laughs> really, no, it's a, it's a great point. And while, while we're just on the subject of, of squats, there was a question that I had knowing that we were doing a um, podcast about lifting. Um, so the, the question that came in was, if my hips are different, should my stance be different on either side when I'm squatting? Um, so I wanted to kind of just come in and talk about this a little bit, because I think we need to we need to accommodate our hips but if we've got one that's really externally rotated and a little bit wider and we've got the other one that needs to be here i think whilst we need to adapt for our hips if we're loading like with a barbell and we've got two completely different stances it's going to shift our weight it's going to be very difficult to have even loading um through both legs when we've got completely different stances so if you do have different needs on different legs, it might be that squatting with a barbell isn't perhaps the, the right way forwards and that you can get strength gains in other ways. So doing non-loaded squats, um, I mean, there's a there's a guy, a doctor of physical therapy called Kelly Starrett, and one of his biggest advocates for squat practice is when you warm up, that you take loads of different stances and you put your feet in lots of different directions and you practice squatting down, really changing it for each leg all the time and modifying it because it helps to warm up all the different joints and challenge different joints and different motions and different ranges. Um, and that's great body weight. But I think if you're starting to load and you're starting to, to put a lot of weight on the bar, you're going to you're going to modify and change that position perhaps a little bit too much. If you've got completely different stances, both sides, you're going to get that rotation. You're going to potentially make other areas a little bit more vulnerable. So I would say if you do need two completely different stances um, and you can't adjust the other one to match one of them without causing yourself pain or inflammation or potential injury, then I would potentially train the two legs separately um, or have a different style of lifting. It's going to very much depend on you as an individual, but yeah, body weight, maybe loaded, heavy. I would probably avoid mm. a few completely different stances. What's your take on that from your experience? I mean, I tend to agree with you and pretty much all the PTs I've seen have kind of echoed the same thing. Like, cause I said, okay, well, do I need to train slightly differently because of my hip do I need to have more load applied do I need to like lean or shift or whatever or like only train more reps on single leg on the other leg and or this leg to compensate and they're like no 
everything should be just like balanced and symmetrical and like don't try to you know do one leg or the other um like you pretty much want to be you know pretty symmetrical and like don't like lean forward and you know that kind of thing I'm not I don't know if I'm qualified to answer this because I'm an engineer I'm not a I'm not a doctor I'm not a physical therapist um or even a trainer for that matter but from what everything I've heard and seen everyone just says like don't don't try to compensate by one doing something differently on one side try to keep things even and balanced um, especially when you're loading weight um it's just having good form I guess I don't know absolutely so I mean I'm aware of the time um and um, we're gonna have to unfortunately start wrapping up this has been an incredible conversation um but I do just want to kind of hear what your plans are going forwards now with your hips and your training um and just kind of yeah where the where the plan is now going forwards there's just one more thing I want to say before we end sorry I know we're out of time but I had to I absolutely have to tell people about this it is the one thing that I feel like got me through PT when I had the most pain and that is blood flow restriction training I don't know if you've heard of this talked about it or done it I don't know we haven't actually talked about it much on this podcast at all but I'm aware from the um YouTube talk that you sent me um about your um experience with this so yes please do um give us a give us a little info on that before we wrap up yeah I'll try to summarize it but basically um it's like if you ever had your blood pressure taken and they put like a blood pressure cuff on your arm um and they pump that up and it kind of squeezes your arm for a second and you're like oh that feels not so good and then they take your blood pressure and it releases and you're like oh okay I feel better now was basically like that except you're doing it like on both of your arms and it, you're just leaving it on or both of your legs and you put the cuffs like proximal to your joint and you're basically occluding or cutting off your blood flow to a certain percentage. And so I actually learned how to do this <clears throat> with my physical therapist um, who had the automatic cuffs that have fail safes built in so they can't squeeze you too much. Basically there's sensors and feedback and everything. But <clears throat> I started doing this because I had the concern of um, atrophy. I didn't want to lose any more leg muscle, but I didn't want to load my joints with like a heavy weight either. So I basically just started doing this with my PT and I want everyone to know about this because you, you can, if you're going to physical therapy right now and you're like, oh gosh, I can't even get through one PT session because I'm in so much pain. My, my groin hurts so bad or my hip flexor, whatever. Just ask the PT if they can do blood flow restriction training or BFR for short, because it has this strange analgesic effect I've noticed where um, basically you can only do it for like 30 minutes at a time for safety reasons. Like you cut your blood flow off and then you just do a workout like that with the cuffs on your blood flow occluded. I usually do like 65% on my legs. Um, but I basically just go and do like a single leg press and maybe just do like 20 or 30 pounds. Like it's really, really light. Um, you can do body weight squats, that kind of thing, lunges, basically just any exercise you can think of, but just without all the weight loading. Um, and then once we take the cuffs off and my blood kind of like reperfuses into my legs, it has this strange, just pain killing effect. And sometimes it can last up to 48 hours. I don't know how or why. Yay. I, yeah. I, and it's probably different for every person. So don't take what I'm saying as, oh, this is the truth. And it's going to be true for me too. It's, it's probably person dependent, but, um, I just noticed that like all my groin pain, everything just completely went away after I did it. Um, and I think it's something to do with like it basically has the same effect as a hypertrophy workout in the gym and your, your body is releasing like growth hormone and metabolites into your bloodstream. And it's a systemic effect. It goes all over, but obviously the body part that you're actually actively working is going to see like the most noticeable result. But I mean, I just, I had no pain after doing it. 
And I kept doing that consistently at physical therapy um, with my therapist. And then I eventually went out and bought some of the smart cuffs that he uses to use in the gym. Um, and now my, my boyfriend has tried it. My trainer has tried it. More people are trying it now. Um, and it sounds, I, I almost didn't want to do it at first because it sounds dangerous, right? I'm like, oh, that sounds like a good way to get a blood I'm, I'm getting you know? ready to put my disclaimer on for uh, uh, yeah. everybody. Please don't do this by yourself. Please make sure Please. that you're yeah. under the guidance of somebody who understands the, tr- and you know, the, all of the processes, all of the information about it. So please do not do this by yourself. Um, yeah, so- don't, don't sue us. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, honestly, the thing is, um, when I asked my physical therapist who should not be doing this type of training, and he said anybody who has like heart problems, anyone who's had a stroke, basically just, yeah, anyone who's at risk for having like, I guess a blood clot or I'm not a doctor. I don't know. Talk to your doctor, please. But um, my physical therapist, he, he showed me how to do it safely and correctly. And then after several sessions, I felt pretty confident and I went out and I bought the exact same device that he uses, which was not cheap. It's basically like a medical device, but you can do this with the, the kind that you just like pump up to. The thing is, once you, once you put this on, it auto calibrates to your specific body. So like, it tells me how many millimeters of mercury it took to occlude my legs to 65% occlusion. So I just went ahead and wrote those numbers down and you're supposed to recalibrate and do it periodically because your body changes over time, obviously. But like, now I know how many millimeters of mercury it takes. So if I were to, if I didn't want to pay for an expensive auto calibrating set, I could just have that number, get one of the kinds that you pump up manually and just use that because that would save quite a bit of money. Um, but I highly recommend if you can afford it, getting the automatic ones, cause it takes some of the guesswork out of it. And basically if your limbs start going white and you can't see your veins anymore, you've done it wrong. If you start feeling numb, you've done it wrong. Please let the air out, let your blood kind of reperfuse a little bit. Um, but if your veins are kind of bulging and your hands are purple, that means you've done it right. <laughs> I know it sounds really messed up, but anyways, I just wanted to mention this to anyone listening. It is such a useful tool please don't be terrified of trying it, but, but also be safe when doing it, trying to talk to a, a PT or a doctor before you do it or someone who's been trained and can do it safely. Um, I just think it's a really useful tool. Um, and as far as where I'm going after this, um, I'm just gonna keep training because I would love to be in a bodybuilding competition someday and wear a sparkly bikini and dye my skin <laughs> orange, you know, all the weird things that bodybuilders do. <laughs> so I'm hoping that's the goal someday. I, I would like to get on stage in a natural competition. It might be a couple of years from now. I mean, I've only been weightlifting for about a year and four months now. So um, I have a long ways to go, but um, it's, it's a lifelong thing. And I, I don't want to have sarcopenia someday. And I don't want to fall and break my pelvis or my hips when I'm um, elderly. I was actually inspired to do bodybuilding by Ernestine Shepard. She is the world's oldest female bodybuilder. I think she's like in her mid or late eighties now. Um, and she's still lifting weights every day. So she's my inspiration and she started in her seventies. So I figured if somebody could do this and start in their seventies and I'm only like 30 something, 32, 33, 34, I can, I can, I can make a lot of progress in that time. <laughs> so that's my plan is I just, I want to keep my bones healthy and strong by lifting weights. And and I had endometriosis really bad. I had irritable bowel syndrome really bad. After I started lifting weights, all of that stuff disappeared. I swear. Like I just, I probably a conversation for another podcast, but that's a whole nother journey in and of itself. But just lifting weights, I, it's been over a year. I have not had an IBS attack. Um, Just all the, all my health problems are like almost completely gone. I mean, I just, it's, it's incredible what weightlifting can do for your body your immune system, you know, your circulation, your muscles, your bones, everything. 
I highly recommend weightlifting. Please try it. Don't be afraid. <laughs> That's be, my parting message. <laughs> yeah, I would be so, so intrigued to have a maybe another follow-up conversation in another year's time or something, see where your journey is. Yeah. You talk about some of this other stuff that you're talking about um, with the endometriosis and the IBS and link all of that in as well. Um, it's been an absolutely incredible conversation and I really, really appreciate your time. Um, if people have been super motivated and inspired by this conversation and wanted to follow your journey, do you have anywhere that you post stuff about this online? Um, yeah, my Instagram and it's at spindleblood. I know that's so, sort of strange. I'm also into knitting and spinning yarn. So that's where the name comes from. But um, yeah, spindle and blood at spindleblood. <laughs> Well, thank you so, so much for your time today. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll look forward to following you on your journey and seeing you in that sparkly bikini painted orange on the stage sometime soon. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Laura.